We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, June sixteenth. Nick Wayne on here with Alex Barutha. As always, we have a special guest. It's been a few weeks. Uh, ben Wyman, managing editor of DK Nation DraftKings, uh, is back with us. Ben, we were talking earlier this week about getting you back on the pod to just kind of do a general wrap up of what's going on in the playoffs. Maybe talk a little All NBA since those teams were released last night. And within the last twelve hours, we have basically completely had to flip the script on what we want to talk about. Uh, we're still going to get to Bucks Nets, but we have Kawhi Leonard news to touch on. We have Chris Paul news to touch on. Uh, multiple coaches have been let go within the last five or six hours alone. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks have fired their GM. Uh, guys, this is one of the the craziest all around news days that we've seen in the NBA in a long time. It's it's been it's it's been absolutely insane. It's been so busy for me. Um, and again, you you asked me to come back on the show last night. I was really excited, and then we had that great Bucks Nets game. I'm like, oh, great. We'll just get to talk about that. And then this massive news dump happens on uh, on Wednesday today. And and now it's just like, where do we start? What do we what do we what do we get after? Um, but, yeah, really excited to be back on the show with you guys. It's always a it's always a good time. So you guys watch Bucks Nets in full, along with everybody else in the world who cares about the NBA. Um, Alex, what are, what are your initial thoughts after that game? Um, there's a lot to digest. I, I think a lot of that spewed onto Twitter. I, I had you know several group chats going, as I assume you guys did, uh, just kind of lamenting you know the performance by KD alongside uh, just a horrendous offensive effort from the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, especially in that second half. Um, you know, when you, when you think about this game, uh, you know, 12 hours ago versus you know how you're going to think about it or how collectively we're going to think about it going forward, Alex, do you think this is going to be like the Kevin Durant game or I can't believe the Bucks blew this game. Uh, well, I'm gonna think of it as the Bucks blew the game. Um, like I, you know, obviously Kevin Durant played amazing, but he played amazing in the first half, and that wasn't really an issue. You know, and the Bucks got up by so much. Um, <laughs> I was so like 
angry after this game that like I started doing dishes. Um, oh yeah, it, it was like <laughs> one of those. Chill out, man. Yeah, it was like kind of you know those like quiet rages, or my girlfriend's just like sitting silently on the couch because <laughs> she knows like not to go take the dog for a walk. Yeah, um, yeah, I think the Bucks blew this. There was a lot. Um, they, I don't even really know where to start. They didn't hunt James Harden on defense when he clearly couldn't move laterally or sprint or even jog very fast. Um, the, you know, they didn't try multiple guys on Kevin Durant. They stuck with PJ Tucker for a long time. Then they tried Brooke Lopez for like five possessions. Um, Durant burned him. The Bucks, you know, after, again, starting a first half well, when they got into their pick and roll game and were punishing the nets on the inside, just kind of devolved into uh, Giannis Isos, Chris Middleton, early shot clock shots, a lot of isolations. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I Ben, what do you think? What was it like your, your initial thought? I mean, I would lean more towards it being the Kevin... Durant game because I think it will ultimately go down as like a top 10 playoff performance ever. Um, like I, I looked at some lists of like what people consider to be the top playoff performances ever. And obviously you have a couple from LeBron, you have that Luka Doncic game last year. Um, they were obviously mentioning it cause it was, he was the third player at the time to put up 40, 15 and 10 in the playoffs along with um, Oscar Robertson and, and Barkley, and then Durant did that, and then Durant's the only player to do 45, 15, and 10. Um, his second half was just, some of the shots he was making was incredible. It was, like, unguardable. I I was a bit surprised that, Jan, like, you have the best defensive, you have arguably one of the best defensive players in the NBA in Giannis. Why is Giannis not guarding Kevin Durant late in that game? Uh, that was a little perplexing. Uh, and again, like you mentioned, Harden just was pretty awful. And more of a decoy, I think, than anything, although he did play 46 minutes, um, which is kind of insane considering how awful he was. I was actually talking to one of my coworkers. I was like, do you do you bench Harden this late? Because he's a liability on defense. Um, he's not really doing anything on offense. Uh, I realized that, you know, Joe Harris, the, the lineup would have been what, like Joe Harris, Landry Shamit with Bruce Brown, Griffin and Durant, which isn't really ideal, but. Um, I mean, at that point, it was really just ISO Kevin Durant. If he gets doubled, swing the ball. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a, a big collapse by the Bucks. Uh, it's it's it's. I feel like it's another stain on Giannis's sort of resume at this point too, because he had a good game, but like you said, he really like wasn't that aggressive down the stretch. He had that he had that fadeaway, <laughs> the fadeaway late in the game that everyone was talking about talking yeah. about where he's, what, he had Harden on him and just just opts for a fadeaway when, like, clearly he could just keep getting... I think the free throws had a lot to do with it. He's, like, it's almost like he's scared to get to the line because he knows he's going to miss a lot of free throws, so he doesn't want to be aggressive and get to the line because he's pretty much like Shaq in that teams late in the game can sort of just foul him and, and let him try and do it at the line. And it feels like he's not a good... I mean, one, he's not a good free throw shooter, and two, it's a very, it's a pressure packed situation. Something that you know he hasn't really handled that well in his career so far. Um, so, like, I, I think Giannis is great, but he really hasn't had that moment where, and this could have been it, right? He could have came out in the second half, put up like 40, 50 points because of how dominant he was, and just the Bucks run away with the game, and everyone's talking about him instead of Kevin Durant. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a, it was a gutsy effort. I thought we'd see a little bit of that from Durant in the previous game after Irving got hurt and they were kind of down, but you know, they weren't, weren't completely out and you were sort of waiting for Durant to have, have a quarter where he goes off, but it just never really happened. Um, 
And I mean, Jeff Green, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Green shot seven of eight from three. Uh, it might be sort of an anomaly in, in that. If, if you don't have Jeff Green's performance, the Nets probably don't win. And I don't want to take away too much from Durant, but I think that has to sort of be taken into consideration. So, yeah, I, I want, I don't, we'll see what happens in game six. I think it's a spot where the Bucks uh, should win, um, but it's, you never know, especially after that game. You know, you mentioned Giannis getting a lot of criticism for the way he played offensively, the fadeaway. Um, it, it, at, at the end, I guess I don't have that big of an issue with that one specific shot, although you'd obviously like to see him go into James Harden. Um, but I, I didn't feel like that was a little bit unfair because I, I feel like the last few years there's been a lot of highlighting how good of a post defender James Harden actually is, especially relative to the rest of his game defensively. So it's not like he had Landry Shamit or Bruce Brown or, you know, Tyler Johnson on his back and he shot that fadeaway. Like, it, you know, James Harden is somewhat of a brick wall when you try to back him down. The bigger issue is Giannis didn't have another move to go to. And and like mm-hmm. you said, Ben, I think part of it is if he does, you know, spin around toward the basket and get fouled, I don't think he thinks that he's making both of those free throws. And I don't think anyone in the building thought he was going to make both those free throws. So certainly that's something that that's in his mind. I mean, Harden, Harden overall, I think was a, a pretty big negative for the Nets. Like he had some nice passes uh, toward the end uh, in the second half to, to result in, in those eight assists. But I, it felt like the Bucks were playing him like he was full on James Harden on both ends, right? Like mm-hmm. they were, they were respecting him way more than they needed to. Um, you know, they were, they were you know, up in his face from beyond the three point line. Even after he had missed eight three pointers in a row, he was short on virtually every shot that he took. I thought they were showing him way too much respect defensively. And then, you know, one thing that pretty much everybody's pointed out is just making zero effort whatsoever to target Harden on the defensive end. Yeah, it it just didn't make any sense. A lot of and like I I hate to I hate to bring up Bud and sort of pick on him over and over, but this has just been like it's almost been a theme. Like th- there needs to be adjustments made. Uh, it felt like a lot of those adjustments were right in front of him and everyone sort of pointing out a lot of this stuff. I don't know if like in in game it's a lot more difficult to do this, but I feel like it's it's pretty easy to point out like and and you said Harden took eight threes. He took 10 field goal attempts. So two of those were I think I think floaters. They they were yeah. and they were like very very bad floaters. Like it looked like he had a pretty like clear like lane of the basket and normally you'd see Harden get to the hole and draw a foul there, but he just wasn't doing any of that. So it's like it's it's very easy at that point to like game plan and figure out how we deal with this and they just couldn't figure it out and joe harris was awful again and awful. you it's i just i can't explain that because it's not like he's it's not like they're playing better defense on him too because he's getting open looks he's just not making anything so it's just crazy to think that james harden was so ineffective joe harris was horrible again and still somehow the nets were able to win this game and I, I figured this I fig- at halftime when they were down by what like 16 I was like this is this is the Bucks sort of you know playing better offensively but also exposing the Nets on defense in a lot of ways and you think after that they would just keep exploiting them defensively and it just didn't happen um and I mean Pat Connaughton had a good game off the bench um he made a lot of easy buckets uh Middleton again wasn't that great that that may be who you point to as like, you know, he had 25 points, but he also missed a lot of shots. Um, and I guess he wasn't he wasn't really on Durant that much. It was mostly Tucker. But like, I don't know, he's another guy where 
Like, he's got some size. Do you stick Middleton on? <laughs> Do you try to stick Middleton on Durant? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, some of those shots by Durant just, like, were unguardable. It's not even anything that you can sort of explain. Yeah, I mean, Durant, I, I, I'm not trying to take away from Durant's game because, like, it was, like, unbelievable to watch in the second half. Like, I, clearly nobody can guard him. It's the stuff we've seen from him forever, but kind of just culminated um, when he needed it the most. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, the, again, the Harden thing is crazy. I just feel like, you know, the Bucks have such short-term memory on offense or short-term. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like they, they find something that works, and then they just slowly stop going to it. They're like, eh. Maybe we'll save that for later or like, oh, we can't run it twice because then they'll know what we're doing. Um, I, I just like don't understand. And Giannis, to some extent, like he's just getting his numbers out there, right? He's averaging like 30 and 12 in the series, but he still has more turnovers than assists and he's shooting 42% from the free throw line. And there are a lot of possessions where he just absolutely kills the possession. Like there was one point where Giannis is standing at the free throw line. Drew Holiday has the ball in the wing. Giannis demands the ball from him, is like clapping at Holiday to give him the ball. Giannis catches it and immediately does a straight line drive into Jeff Green, who's just standing there. And yeah. they call a charge. And it's like, like, why are you? Like, I, I don't understand what that is. And so sometimes it's hard to tell, like, is Bud, is this like orchestrated by Bud? Is Bud afraid to tell Giannis, like, hey, stop shooting threes and stop driving straight into people? Um, it's, I, I, I really don't know what like is going on half the time. I, I think it's a combination of things. That's That was sort of my thought is Bud just doesn't want to go to Giannis and be like, stop taking threes. Because mm-hmm. like the Jeff Green play that, that Alex mentioned, I remember that like very clearly, and that was just awful. And even that one – you guys remember that one three-pointer that he did make? And everyone was like – and I think Grant Hill on the broadcast called him out. Like, I know he made it, but that was yeah. like an awful decision because he steps back – to take that three pointer. And I think he's got like Landry Shamit on him or something. Yep. And you're just yep. like, you're just like, what is he doing? Like, it kind of like, rolled in, right. Didn't it like bounce around the rim and then roll in <laughs> a little, a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a pure three pointer. Yeah. Um, Rarely it is. wasn't, it wasn't pretty looking, but it went in and you're just like, what is he doing? Cause if he, I mean, if he misses some of those shots, I, it's, you're just, you're just questioning him more and the nets end up, winning that game a lot easier um and not to, not to say that they won it easily but you know a lot easier in the end um so yeah i don't know uh, <laughs> i mean he survived an all-time game or not survived i guess he almost survived an all-time game from Durant. it was his best individual playoff effort by a mile and part of that is he you know kind of took a three-year break where he didn't really have to have games like this i think it was always he was always capable of it but i i think if the bucks run even semi below average offense in the second half, they still win this game by eight to 12 points. Like it, 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 we've seen like the Nets had no other options. Like Kevin Durant was going to get 40 to 50 points no matter what. And, and he was hitting some crazy shots in the second half. But the other part of that is, you know, the Bucks were up what 16, I think when that run started, they, they were missing everything at that point. Like Durant comes down, hits a three, the Bucks go down and, you know, Middleton ISO miss a jumper three seconds into the shot clock. You know, that's what that's what it was like. They were not they were not balancing it out. And, and I think it was it was possible to th- to slow things down, run, run some sort of offense. They they really didn't run anything. It, it kind of looked like a almost like an AAU type of game in the second half where, you know, Giannis would, would go and screen for Holiday. And if there wasn't a wide open lane for Holiday to pass him the ball for a dunk, Holiday would just back it out and go one on one. And, I you know, I, I had said, I think to you earlier, Alex, or to several people in, in some very angry group chats last night, like, <laughs> 
I think I was most disappointed in Drew Holiday. You know, I, I think Giannis took a lot of the criticism. I think Middleton took some bad shots. I thought Brooke Lopez was, I, I don't know what he was doing defensively in those third and fourth quarters, but Holiday was the guy that was brought in to prevent what happened last night from happening. And he was, he was complicit in it. You know, he, he took some of the worst shots of anybody and it was just maddening to watch. And I mean, it, to me, it was, it was almost like Holiday was like revolting against what he was supposed to be doing, like knowingly. I, it was, it was bizarre. It was so strange to watch. Yeah. It's, well, it's weird too, that they didn't put him on Durant when Durant got hot. Right. It's right. like, why are you having yeah. him guard? I mean, you got the why? size disadvantage, but you, you'd think you should try something. Well, he's not that much shorter than PJ Tucker, really. Right. Like I, you know. Yeah. 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 It was it was bizarre. I mean, I mean, Holiday only played, what, 34 minutes in this game in a game where James Harden played 46. I mean, that was that was another thing where I mean, what what's on the line at this point? Like the Bucks basically played seven guys in this game. If you don't count the three minutes from Elijah Bryant and the you know one minute from Thanasis <laughs> at the end of the second quarter, there was too much Connaughton. I thought I mean, you were you were basically subbing in Connaughton for Drew Holiday when Holiday could have been out there for eight to nine more minutes. In, in a playoff scenario where it's totally fine and, and almost expected for a player of that caliber to play 40 plus. Uh, I mean, that's that's borderline just malpractice. I think to play Drew Holiday that few minutes, even in a game where he didn't exactly have it going. It's not like Pat Connaughton was was setting the world on fire. Yeah, it was is Bobby Portis hurt or are they just like no. over Bobby Portis? No, that was a straight up. <laughs> not to say that I'm like high on Bobby Portis and think that he should have played at all. But Portis, I, I really like what Porgis did in, in games three and four. Um, like I, I, I couldn't believe he didn't play. Like it was shocking right. because there are a lot of moments. Like what is, did anybody even ask Bud about that? I haven't really seen anything. I don't know. There are a lot of moments where I think he's more valuable than Brooke Lopez out there. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think you can actually, honestly, I think you can play him. I think you can play Lopez, Portis and Giannis, but I don't know if that lineup's even ever been tried, but it was shocking that he wasn't out there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I'm sure you guys saw uh, on Twitter during the game, after the game, a, a number of NBA players along with 
just the the general NBA basketball uh, populace uh, were weighing in on this game. And it, like CJ McCollum, John Morant were kind of going at Giannis. McCollum more for not guarding Kevin Durant, which I mean, we can get into that if we want, um, whether Giannis would have actually been able to have any more success than anyone else that the Bucks threw at KD. Um, but, you know, Morant, you know, I, I got the impression, at least from Morant's tweet, which was fairly vague, that there's a potential that some of these guys maybe don't respect Giannis all that much. And, and I, I would imagine it stems from his limited offensive package, which kind of goes all the way back to what James Harden had said about him uh, last season. But I mean, overall, it, it, it's you don't want to put too much into one game or one series. But I mean, I saw people you know on TV this morning, on podcasts this morning who are essentially saying like, Giannis has been kicked out of the top tier of NBA superstars until further notice. It's 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 definitely concerning that he hasn't really stepped up in the playoffs. I think, um, especially with how good his teams have been in the regular season the last couple of years. And I mean, I I don't want to say I was in on this narrative before this whole thing started, but I feel like I feel like even when I was on this podcast with you guys, we were kind of questioning Giannis. Um, and I, he was deserving of those MVPs, and I don't want to take anything like that away from him. And he's still such a dominant player. But I think his mindset um, and his, you know, aggressiveness isn't really there. His killer instinct isn't really there. Because, like like you said, I, I, f- I feel like in this game, we should have saw, again, he should be demanding to guard Durant, whether or not it works out. I think if he goes on Durant and he doesn't do a good job, like, at least he tried. I think he needs to try. Um, and, yeah, he didn't really take over the game in the second half at all and made some you know, poor basketball decisions, I guess. And I don't think it's all on him. I, I think some of the blame has to go to Bud and the coaching staff. Um, Cause again, it's not like he's, a, it's not like he's a grizzled veteran. Like he's been in the league for a while at this point, but you know, he still hasn't played a ton of, a ton of playoff basketball uh, really. So yeah, I, I, I don't know how much you can, I don't think we throw him out of the top tier players. Um, but he definitely isn't quite there yet as far as like performing in the playoffs is concerned. I think it depends where we draw the line on that top tier as well. You know, if, is it just LeBron and Durant at the top and, and maybe Steph Curry? Um, but even Curry, it's like Curry has three rings, but doesn't have a finals MVP. So I, I think some of the same arguments that people are making against Giannis, um, and he's such a different player than Curry that it's, it, you know, it's hard to compare, but you know, you could lob those same, uh, arguments, I, I think, toward Curry, who's certainly not played his best basketball uh, in the playoffs or in the NBA finals. But I, I don't know, man. It's it, it, it's really tough because of the type of player that he is. And I, I think the Giannis as a center movement is going to gain more and more steam uh, as we move into the offseason and head toward next season. Because, I mean, this is now year three of the Bucks kind of running into figuratively and literally, figuratively and literally a wall. You know, where you can you can get away with guarding Giannis with Blake Griffin or Jeff Green or James Harden because, you know, the, the, the body style that he has, he's he's not a super fluid athlete. And, and obviously that lends well to the physicality that he's able to exert at the rim as a rebounder, uh, as a shot blocker, as a rim protector, all that. So, um, you know, I, I think some have compared him to Russell Westbrook in, uh, over the last few weeks. And, and I think Giannis's like physicality and the fact that he's like almost a foot taller than Westbrook, you know, makes him a lot more effective player. But in terms of their offensive packages, like it's not all that different at the end of the day. Um, and I think it's interesting, Ben, that you mentioned his mindset. You know, I think that's what a lot of people are critical of. It's like, oh, Giannis didn't want to guard KD. Like he's scared to guard him. Like whether that's true or not, and I would say that it probably isn't. I, I think that 
if, if Bud wanted Giannis to guard KD, he would have put him on KD and Giannis would have accepted the assignment. He basically said as much after the game, but I, like nothing about Giannis, the way that he conducts himself, you know, he, he doesn't talk to other superstars. He doesn't fraternize with any other players. It's basically just him and his brothers. Like he, he kind of exudes this hyper competitiveness in every other aspect of his life. So like, to me, that goes against this argument that people are, are trying to make that he's like, you know, shying away from the moment. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting that you mentioned like that he sort of spaced himself from a lot of the superstars because like you, th- those guys have that competitive drive and they go at each other. But it almost feels like Giannis is like this outsider and he's like trying to prove himself to almost everyone and trying to do that in the NBA with so many like loud and so many, you know, strong personalities, I feel like that's just a recipe for disaster in a lot of it. Like you're, you're just putting way too much pressure on yourself, especially like you're, you're out there with, you're going against Kevin Durant. You're going against James Harden. I mean, Blake Griffin is still like, he's not the same player he once was, but he's played well in the playoffs and he's still a guy when he's out there. And we've seen Blake actually do pretty decent on Giannis in this series for what it's worth. Like it's, it's, it's not an assignment that Griffin's going to thrive in and not an assignment that anyone's going to thrive in, but we've still seen Griffin do, you know, okay for his age and, and where he's at in basketball. So uh, it's, it's just a tough situation that Giannis has put himself into. And you mentioned again, like, you know, if the coaching staff says he's got to guard this person, like he's got to accept that sort of thing. But I like it, are other NBA superstars doing stuff like that? Like, I know Giannis isn't LeBron. I know Giannis isn't KD. I know he isn't, you know, one of one of those guys. But he still, I mean, still, you would you would have to think, like, he must have said something where, like, you know, Bud's like, hey, like, we're going to do this, this, and that. And then Giannis, like, Giannis has to be like, no, like, let me, like, at least give me a shot at him. Um, so it's hard to believe that, you know, he didn't, like, if he said that, you think that Bud would give him the opportunity? So I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to gauge without really knowing what's going on in the huddle. Um, but yeah, I still think that's sort of the issue with Giannis at this point. I think, I mean, he might be, Giannis might be the most flawed MVP we've ever had, just in terms of like his weaknesses. Um, you know, I think you can maybe compare him to Westbrook in that extent, but. You kind of look down the list of MVPs. It's hard to say, like, could this player, like, can you just expose this player by making him shoot threes? I, I don't know. As far as his mentality goes, I think part of the problem is that he's trying to play hero ball, but it's almost like he's doing an imitation of what he thinks hero ball should look like. Or it's like, oh, I'm going to make all these threes. The crowd's going to go insane. I'm going to just try to dunk everything. When in reality, like him playing hero ball is I'm going to guard the best player because I won defensive player of the year. I'm going to dominate the offensive class. I'm going to try to get, you know, even like, I mean, I harp on Giannis for this all the time because I hate that turnaround fade shot. He can't hit a free throw. It's like if he can't hit a free throw, why are you adding a defender, a spin and a fade? Um, You know, I mean, he just he can't hit a hook shot. That's kind of the like (laughs) right now, in my opinion, that's the that's the absolute Achilles heel in his game is that he cannot consistently just do like a right-handed jump hook with like a six foot five player on him. That's, that's kind of the reason that he's out there trying to do everything else is because he just can't hit that shot. And he, he tried like three times in, in, in this previous game and it was awful. It was like, he was literally above the rim, but he was like pushing the ball at the basket. It was like hard to watch. It's just kind of unbelievable. Is it as simple as he just got too big? Cause he had touch early on. 
you know, and I think you kind of see it uh, with, with other players like who who considerably bulked up, like with like LeBron's been able to somewhat overcome it. But I think part of the reason that LeBron is not a great free throw shooter and, you know, historically has some pretty dramatic swings, even as a jump shooter, you know, there's, there's times where he just won't, he just won't hit threes for like two weeks. You know, he'll just be way off is, you know, like I think when you, when you really bulk up, especially from where Giannis was coming from, which is even more dramatic than a guy like LeBron who, who put on a decent amount of weight, but Giannis completely transformed his body from where he was his first two or three years in the league to now. Like, is it, is it just that simple that like when you, when you add 30 to 40 pounds of muscle, it's just really hard to to also bring that touch along with it. I I I think that honestly is it it is weird like his development in in the NBA and even beforehand because he's sort of like like you guys said like he's more of like a wing with touch like more of a true like power forward almost like you could argue that like earlier in his career he was considered more of like a three four hybrid kind of player and now everyone's like well well he's a center because he's so big but he doesn't like have that sort of post like he doesn't have the post movies he doesn't have the touch he doesn't have that kind of like you know mentality so it, it does feel like when he's out there he's almost like like deer in the headlights like I don't really know what to do so I'm gonna try this this and that and like it's just not really like it, it works it works most of the time because like I think and I think I brought this up before where like Giannis gets by so much on compensating um, for his skill in, in basketball sense with the fact that he's just an athletic freak, that he's just such a specimen that most like average NBA players and most even above average NBA players can't deal with that kind of athleticism. Um, and now, I mean, when you get to the when you get to the grand stage and you're up with all the pressure and everything like that sort of gets exposed, I think. Yeah. So we, we just spent a half hour disparaging <laughs> the Bucks, disparaging Giannis. And despite all of that, as we look ahead to game six on Thursday night, the Bucks are five and a half point favorites as the series shifts back to Milwaukee. I, I do not think that Steve Nash is going to heed the advice of Reggie Miller and sit Kevin Durant and James oh Harden. They've already, they've already said that Harden is going to play in game four. And I, I think one of the biggest wins for Brooklyn outside of actually winning the game last night is that James Harden was able to play that many minutes and come away apparently unscathed. You know, you would imagine there's going to be some soreness in that hamstring, but you know, he didn't really look to be favoring it. Um, he wasn't moving great, but it, this wasn't like an Anthony Davis situation where 30 seconds into the game, everybody watching is like, get this guy out of here. This is not safe. Like I mean, James Harden looks like he's going to be at least relatively okay uh, going forward. Five and a half point favorites. I, I, I get it. You know, I, it felt like Milwaukee played better basketball, especially in the first half and even for part of the third quarter. Dan Brooklyn, the Nets are still down Kyrie. Um, your best player played all 48 minutes in, in game five. So there are reasons to think that Milwaukee can bounce back. But I mean, it was just such a such a devastating, you know, gutting loss by Milwaukee in game five that you're, you're going to get more energy, obviously, at home from the crowd. And, and there's a lot on the line. But five and a half to me, it, it, it seems a little high. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would have anticipated it being a little bit lower, but I do like the Bucks in this game. I would say at five and a half. I mean, for one, like I don't, I'm, I'm not too concerned about the minutes for Durant and Harden. Um, I think we would see this a lot more often, especially in the playoffs, in certain situations. If it weren't for, you know, just like training staffs and coaching staffs being like ultra, like management, like overcompensating for things. Like they're like, at the end of the day, like there is risk of Kevin Durant. You know, I don't want to like knock on, like knock on wood and everything, but like Kevin Durant playing 48 minutes coming off the injuries that he's had 
um, you know, with what the calf and the Achilles in the past. I mean, it's it's there's definitely some risk and they have to take that into consideration. I think I think in the end, if you asked a lot of these guys like LeBron and, you know, the Stephs and whatnot, um, when they're at 100 percent, like, can you guys play multiple games in a row without sitting? Like, I bet they would say, yeah, of course. Um, but that's just not how the NBA sort of works now. So I'm not really worried about the minutes. Um, I just think at at home, the Bucks obviously have been, you know, be- better. They got they got the two wins to even the series. Granted, it was, you know, one game was just hideous, and the other game was when Kyrie got hurt. Um, I don't. Know, it's it it'll 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 show us a lot about the Bucks like mental resolve um, coming home. But I do think. I would lean. Um, I would lean on them. Uh, I think Harden's got to bounce back. I don't know. I don't know if he was just shaking off some rust, but it's not like he was out that long. Um, so a little concerned about him there. And again, do you go on the road in Game Six and Jeff Green's going to put up 27 points again? I don't think we can expect something like that. Um, so factoring in that and how poorly Joe Harris has played, uh, yeah, I think I think my early lean is the Bucks on the spread. Yeah, I think I think the spread makes sense. Um, it almost feels like the game is going to like, it, I, I think people don't, or, or they don't imagine that the Bucks can lose in this way again. Like it would happen two games in a row. kind of seems like lightning striking twice in the same place, um, for this, for, you know, for KD to go off like this again, um, that sort of a thing. I still, you know, I haven't had confidence in the Bucks, um, you know, since like <laughs> game two. Um, like I, I would not, you know, like personally, I would not back on the bucks in any capacity for the re- remainder of this series. Um, but like, I understand, like, I, I completely understand like why you would, it's just from what I'm watching, like, I, I feel like the bucks are, they, they lucked out when they won in game three, they kind of lucked out when they won in game four with Kyrie going down and they, you know, like they just fell apart in, in game five. So, um, for me, the confidence isn't there. Yeah, that's fair. I I don't know. I I just think, I like the only reason the Nets won Game Five was because Kevin Durant went nuclear and Jeff Green didn't miss a shot. It feels like like when you break when you look at it that way, right? Like it, like Kevin Durant doing this again wouldn't really surprise anyone. Can he do it? Play an entire game and carry the Nets? To another win um i'm not so sure i think you're gonna have james harden's gonna have to do something in game six if the nets are gonna win um kenny of course it's james harden he's one of the you know he's one of the best scorers in the nba uh you know consensus what top 10 15 player in the nba yeah. so like again you would and he played 46 minutes like you mentioned like if if he can play that much and that you know the hamstring seems okay uh, then going into game six, you got to assume he'll be able to put up, you know, a little bit better effort, especially shooting the ball. So we'll see. I think it'll be tight. Um, so, you know, maybe, may, maybe we'll see that line go down a little bit and, you know, go to like four and a half or so. Um, but I, I don't know. I could see a scenario where, you know, again, the bucks look good in that first half in the, in game five. And then really they just choked so badly in the nets, had a couple guys that just went off. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd expect the Bucks maybe put together a complete game for once. Um, so yeah, that's sort of where I, where I see it going. All right, let's move to the two items that I think we all probably woke up to this morning or, or came in right around the time we woke up, which is Kawhi Leonard ruled out of tonight's game five. 
against Utah. And then we find out later that the Clippers fear that this is an ACL injury for Kawhi Leonard. And I was chatting with Alex on Slack. Like, has there ever been a chance or a, a time, Ben, that you remember, you know, like the thought of an ACL injury surfaces and then two hours later we find out like, oh, actually it was, you know, just a, just a bruise. He's totally fine. Like almost anytime you hear the words team fears ACL, it's almost always something that you, you know, the kind of the worst case scenario, which, which would be a torn ACL. It does sound like in this case, there's a chance that it could just be a, a sprain or, or maybe like a slighter tear that wouldn't be, you know, that eight to 12 month recovery timetable. But I mean, this has gone very quickly from bad to worse for the Clippers. No. Yeah. And it, and like you said, it does seem like there's a chance outside of like other cases, right? Because it's not like Kawhi left the last game and, you know, or like it, you know, non-contact kind of knee thing. Like, again, like, like we saw with Jamal Murray this season where he goes down and everyone's kind of like, yeah, we know exactly where this is going. And the Clippers came out and they're like, well, he's going to be out. And then there were reports, well, he's expected to be out for game five, but like, you know, they're kind of worried about him coming back in this series. And that's sort of when you're like, wait, what is the deal with this? Because it's a knee. And they're like, oh, it's a knee sprain. And then, boom, it's like now they fear that. I don't know if they were trying to cover it up as much as possible and sort of say, because, again, it, it it impacts the next couple games, right? If, you know, the Jazz know that Kawhi is not coming back because then you're you're way more loose going into game five with the series tied at home. Um, as opposed to a scenario where, oh, well, Kawhi's out, he has a knee sprain, he's day-to-day, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and he could come back in game six. So, like, complete mindset change there. Um, but now, I mean, I, I hope it's not a torn ACL because that would be awful because it has so many, so much more implications for the Clippers long-term um, and the franchise, uh, just with Paul George and even Tyron Liu. Um, and, I mean, Kawhi was heading into that player option this season. A lot of people were sort of speculating, does he opt out or not now? I mean, if it's a torn ACL, he's, you know, clearly not going any anywhere. And, you know, there's a chance with these guys, right, that he could just sit out the entire next season. Because you'd, you'd think if he has surgery over the summer that it, he's definitely not returning until, like, the second half of next season at the at the earliest. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 awful. And, like, I we'll, we'll see what happens with Paul George. That's what I'm most excited. Um, most interested to see is do we do we see Paul George step up or you know does he sort of choke and everyone sort of bashes him on Twitter again? Um, I'm almost rooting for him honestly. I am, but I, I don't feel like Paul George has a Kevin Durant 49, 17, 10 ceiling in him. You know, like Paul George could play really well, and I think the Clippers probably still lose this game and lose the series because he's just not quite that level. And, and losing Kawhi is just such a huge obstacle to overcome. Like, I, if you're a Clippers fan, you're not expecting to stay alive in this series, right? You know, like, if Paul George doesn't mm-hmm. have a monster game, you're not going to be like, wow, what a disappointment. Paul George couldn't carry us over the one seed without, you know, by far our best player. And one note I have on Kawhi's contract, like you said, if, if he does have a torn ACL, you know, he probably opts in. I, I don't know that that's a guarantee. I, I think the, he, he probably stays with the Clippers. That's That's my lean no matter what happens with the knee. But, I mean, we saw Durant basically opt That's out true. when he tore his Achilles and, and go rehab with a new team and then come back two years later. So, like, it, to me, it's not a guarantee. Like, let's say Kawhi is going to miss 90% of next season. He doesn't have to do that rehab with the Clippers. Like, if he wants to sign a, a four-year deal somewhere else, like, every other team in the league will still be lining up to sign Kawhi to a max. I, I don't think this would change anything. Yeah, that is, yeah, you are right. That is that, that is a pretty good point. Um, but I feel like, I feel like overall the whole sense was that Kawhi wasn't really going to be going anywhere. You didn't really get a sense that he was, you know, 
disgruntled with how things were going with the Clippers because I feel like they pretty much gave him everything that he wants. Like he's he's pretty much controlling every decision within that franchise, or at least has a say in it. You would say. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting because uh, again, you have a, you do have some teams that you know would make those moves to open up Kawhi and just wait out the season and then all right, let's go after it in 2022-23. Um, so yeah, but I, like you said before, when you're talking about like the Clippers, like they just don't have the supporting cast, I think, outside of, you know, losing Kawhi to really do anything. Um, like Zubac hasn't really been a factor. Abaka's maybe if Abaka was healthy and like actually like Serge Abaka, like you could make a case for them, maybe like being able to sort of just like muddy up a, a muddy up a game and just play defense and try and nineties basketball their way to the, the Western conference finals. But I just don't know who else, like, Marcus Morris is the second best player on 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 your team outside of Paul George in the playoffs against what the number one seed against the Jazz. Uh, I just don't. Yeah, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I think the Jazz win the series. Obviously, this you know it like confuses things for the for the Clippers. I think even if he does have a torn ACL, wouldn't be surprised if they gave him like a huge extension because they're almost kind of backed into a corner. Like, what's their other move? Like, you let Kawhi Leonard go and you. I mean, I guess you could theoretically then get rid of you trade Paul George and I mean if he's tradable like and um with that contract and then try to <laughs> tank. But they have a new stadium on the way. Like they're they're supposed to be good, you know, over the next three, four years. Um this this is pretty rough for them, but they're I, I think they're kinda of backed into a corner here and and potentially having to resign them no matter what. And and don't don't they not have any first round picks because they gave them yeah. all up to get Paul yeah, George? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that trade. Yeah, they gave away everything for for George, including SGA. And you so, have six. You have 130 yeah. million committed to Luke Kennard and Marcus Morris. Like you don't you don't even have you yeah. don't even have like side money to play around with for role players. Right. That's gross. <laughs> yeah. Although if, I will say, if the worst case scenario, like you said, if they're backed into a corner and they have to resign Kawhi, like I think that's okay. You know, even if it means you're you're out of it for one year while he recovers. I think if you're the Clippers, you're just thrilled that you're re-signing them, even if it's under semi-adverse circumstances. Yeah, agreed. That's like at that point you have to take it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, but but the thing is, so Paul, how many? Paul George has like a couple years left in a player option, right? Something like that. Like, what's his deal? Because all he does is take criticism, it seems, and no one thinks he's good enough to be the second fiddle to to Kawhi and get the Clippers to the finals and i mean it's unfortunate because you kind of had the sense that they were finally getting it, it was getting there after the f- past two games like this is actually a series like Kawhi's still kind of carrying them but paul george like wasn't playing like awful and you know they would have a shot at least to get to the western conference finals where like i think i think the suns are mm. I, the suns are a tough matchup for everyone i think at this point and they're just like riding high that kind of thing but who knows now with the Chris Paul news, right? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it, well, that's that's a big part of the Clippers. Well, yeah, yeah, that's it, a big part. It's just not only <laughs> not only are you you maybe out of this series and and out of contention, but I mean things were lining up where you know you, you the, your potential uh, opponent, if you make it to the Western Conference Finals, might be without its best player for one or two games, depending on how this all shakes out. And we don't have a ton of details on what's going on with Chris Paul, like. Uh, Jalen Rose, of all people, is reporting that Chris Paul is indeed vaccinated. Um, I, I don't know if that's coming directly from Chris Paul himself or or how Jalen knows Jalen Rose got that knowledge. 
Um, if that's indeed the case, then Chris Paul apparently tested positive, according to some local reports in Phoenix. So, you know, apparently he's like the 1% of people who can still, um, you know, contract COVID despite getting the vaccine. We really, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak too much on it because we have no, no idea how much time he's going to miss. If he is indeed vaccinated, that probably means that he avoids the dreaded like two plus week quarantine uh, that we saw so many players fall victim to during the regular season. So like, there's, there's still a chance that he could play in game one of the series. We also don't even know when the series is going to start. That's a big component of this as well. But man, whether it's the Jazz or if the Clippers somehow navigate past Utah and make the, the Western Conference Finals, like this is just yet another like crazy hitch that's thrown into these playoffs, which you know, Alex and I, less than 24 hours ago, we're talking about whether there will be you know, this unofficial asterisk on this entire season. And we both kind of decided the answer is no. I still think the answer is no. I don't think there's an asterisk on any NBA season because for the most part, everybody's facing the same obstacles. But man, you know, if Chris Paul misses the first two games of the Western Conference Finals and Kawhi Leonard is done for the year with a torn ACL on top of everything else that's already happened, it's going to feel weird at the very least. Oh, yeah. And and we're not even done yet. Like, I'm not even going to throw anything else out there. I don't want to I don't want to put bad juju or any kind of thing in into the rest of the you know players out there. Like I won't say anyone cough cough Sixers, but I mean the the Sun situation I don't think will be as bad as well not I don't think it's bad. Um, I mean the details that we have are like Arizona Sports reported that Chris Paul tested positive, but he was vaccinated in February, and then Jalen Rose sort of confirmed that, and he's in health protocols. And, you know, generally with vaccinated people, you know, they, they have that shot to come back a little earlier. So I think we could see a scenario where Chris Paul pull, puts in a couple negative tests in the next couple, you know, within within the week and or through the weekend or something. And like the Western Conference Finals, I think at the earliest would start like next week, like Monday. I don't know if they would do it where the Jazz win the next two games. They win on Friday and they start on Sunday. That seems a little uh, a little short, but they have done stuff like that before. Um, if by some if by some act of God the Clippers win a game without Kawhi against the Jazz and it goes the distance and it's and it's Sunday Game Seven, then I can't imagine we'll see the Western Conference Finals start before say Tuesday or Wednesday. So it does give Paul a decent amount of time where it seems like the worst case scenario is he misses one game, maybe the first two games of the Western Conference Finals, but. I don't know. We're talking like this is this is pretty big stuff. I know like, you know, I know it's important for everyone to be safe and whatnot, but he did get vaccinated from reports. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, But yeah, I mean, like like you said, like imagine being the Clippers and you're going into the Western Conference finals with Kawhi healthy and you have game one on the road against Phoenix and you're able to steal the game because Chris Paul's out for game one. Um, It's just such a crazy swing of events in the NBA it's unlike anything like we've seen before I think the bigger issue to be concerned about if you're Phoenix is is Chris Paul having symptoms of COVID like even if he is vaccinated like what what does he look like let's say he doesn't miss any time but has he been sick for the the week leading up to game one of the Western Conference Finals like do we see a diminished version of him because of that uh there's just so many factors here and I I don't think we're going to get a ton of answers at least not in the near future just because of how KG teams and players have been about the whole COVID thing this year. No, yeah, I can't imagine we get a whole lot of details. And like we were joking before that the Chris Paul news broke in the morning and then 
the NBA ordered this like shadow news dump the entire day to try and <laughs> bury the store, bury the lead or whatever. Cause it is, it is insane. Like even after all that, like you mentioned, like there's two coaching changes, like the wizards and the Pelicans, LaMelo ball was announced as rookie of the year that happened. And no one really like, like everyone knew it was going to happen, but it was still like, why are, why is this the day they chose to announce it? Um, and yeah, it's and then the Mavericks news story came out. It's just like it's it's a little crazy. Like I'll put on my I'll put on my tinfoil hat for a second, you know. Well, and well, of course it's Chris Paul. You know, it couldn't be Tory Craig testing positive. It's like the face of the <laughs> franchise is the one guy who happens to test positive. Every, I'm sure everybody else was tested at the same time. And it's just it like, and you you felt so good. Like I, you could say what you want about Chris Paul, and people can not like him and people can love him and i've always kind of pulled for him um because he always had that sort of chip on his shoulder he always he's he's been art like one of the best point guards in the league for so long and you always wanted to see him get over the hump and then after they swept the nuggets and you know lebron's not around and the clippers are sort of in trouble you're like well man this might actually be the year where chris paul has a shot to to finally get that ring and I think he still does, and I think the Suns are still set up well as long as, as long as he doesn't miss, you know, a big chunk of that Western Conference Finals. But you're still like, ugh, like, like can this guy catch a break? Like he, it seems like everything was sort of going well for him. And even I mean, like, and on the other side with the Nets, like Kyrie, Harden, they're both dealing with injuries. So even if the, you know, the Nets, you know, get to the finals and face the Suns, you still feel good about. Phoenix's uh, like chances against against that Nets team, I think, uh, unless Kyrie and Harden, you know, are both 100% by the time the, that finals would start. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just it's you just feel bad for Chris Paul. He's been through so much. You kind of hope I was I I was sort of hoping it would be the year where you know he he gets the ring. And it still very well could be. I mean, we'll see what happens. Like you said, with the Nets, I, I think if all those guys are healthy, they're the heavy, heavy favorites, regardless of who comes out of the West. But if even one of those three are hampered, I, I think Phoenix, Utah, those are formidable enough opponents that if they're fully healthy, I, I think they could take advantage. You know, you hinted at the you know alleged news dump that, that came in the wake of the Chris Paul uh, positive test. And one component, or I guess two components that we can lump together were Scott Brooks, out in Washington. This one was framed as a mutual parting of ways. Couldn't come to terms on a contract, whatever that means. Uh, and Stan Van Gundy straight up fired by the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, you know, one of these more surprising than the other. I, I think for the most part, I thought Scott Brooks did a really good job with what he was given in Washington this past year. With Van Gundy, it felt like the writing had been on the wall for a while now. But this now leaves us with, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe we have five Current coaching vacancies, Boston, Washington, New Orleans, Portland, and Indiana. Am I missing anybody? I think you got everything, everyone, right? I, I think in within like three days, we might be able to add Milwaukee to that list as well, especially <laughs> I, depending on what happens Thursday night. But yeah. uh, of those five, how would you rank the the appeal, I guess, of those five jobs? Boston, Washington, New Orleans, Portland, Indiana. If you're Mike D'Antoni or Chauncey Billups or Jason Kidd, uh, Teresa Witherspoon, an assistant in New Orleans, is one of the names that's at the top of their list. If you're one of these sought-after candidates, which of those jobs, assuming you have your pick, are you lining up to take first? Uh, it's got to be the Pelicans, right, with Zion, Brandon Ingram. Um, they they could have a top-10 pick this year. You have uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is on that, Kira Lewis. They have a lot of good young talent. Um, and I, it feels great that Teaspoon's being considered for that job. 
Um, cause like, I, I don't see her name pop up all that often. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't know that she was an assistant with the Pelicans. Um, but having grown up like in New Jersey and New York, like everyone knew who Teresa Weatherspoon was when you were growing up. Cause she was sort of a legend with the Liberty. Um, and she was such a badass. So, uh, it's, it's just nice to see her being considered for that job. Um, I would say the Pelicans is appealing. I think the Celtics like from like, I don't, I don't particularly like the Celtics, you know, being from, being being from New York, but uh, I think that job is still appealing because you have Jason Tatum and you have Jalen Brown and I think Brad Stevens transitioning to the front office is still, um, you know, uh, a very appealing spot to land. Uh, the Pacers, pace you gotta like the Pacers a little bit. Their roster, their roster heading into the season was was looking like it would be pretty stacked with Brogdon, Sabonis. Um, you know, they they traded for Karis LeVert, uh, Miles Turner. Uh, TJ Warren was out all the season. Like, I feel like if, I feel like if I'm not saying Bjork, I'm not defending Bjorkgren, but I think if he had that roster 100% healthy, that I don't think we're talking about the Pacers, you know, missing out on, um, on making the playoffs because they were in the plan tournament. I think they probably get into the playoffs. Um, maybe not pretty easily, but I think they're still in there. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're like an armchair GM, like, and you like playing 2k, the, the magic are appealing just cause they, they do have a lot of young prospects and they're going to have, um, probably a couple of top 10 picks this, this year, because unless the bulls pick lands in the top four, they're going to get the bulls pick as well as their own pick, which has a shot at being number one overall. So the magic from a pure, like going in there and like being able to sort of build something, uh, is a little bit appealing uh what what were what were the other ones the blazers is the other one and the wizards well i forgot the magic so i didn't even have the magic oh okay so yeah magic bring Cause, cause thank steve you for bringing clifford. up orlando yeah steve clifford left i did i thought you had mentioned them um i, I don't Boston, know I, new orleans portland indiana okay um i would rank the trailblazers and the wizards at the bottom probably um scott this like like you said the scott brooks decision was weird um, especially knowing his relationship with Russell Westbrook um, and that they still made the playoffs and, you know, took a game from the Sixers despite, you know, it was because Embiid got hurt, but they still took a game from a number one seed in the first round with very little to work with, I would say. Uh, they dealt with a lot of injuries. Thomas Bryant was out most of the season. Um, Denny Avdia got hurt. Uh you know, they did have to deal with that circus surrounding John Wall and Russell Westbrook getting traded, which, you know, what that that deal was right before the season started, I believe. So, yeah, like you're heading into preseason and training camp and then this gets thrown on you. And I think Brooks did a pretty good job. And Russ played really well. A lot of people like Russ played really well. I know it's I know it's the regular season and I know, you know, it's the NBA, but he he did play pretty well down the stretch. Um, and those, the Wizards were looking kind of dangerous. So. That was a bit surprising. Um, the Blazers, I I don't know. I I think Dame's contract sort of hurts there. They don't really have too many young, like promising young prospects. Um, and it seems like it seems like someone's gonna, like if you're going into that situation, are you really going to get much higher than where they have been in the past? Um, right? Like they really just had that one year where they went to the Western Conference Finals and got destroyed by the by the Warriors. Um, but that sort of the Blazers job doesn't seem appealing to me, especially with the prospect that they might trade CJ at some point or Dame Dame could force his way out if he wanted to. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
to me, Orlando is probably like the least appealing. I, I don't know. I mean, some coaches might really enjoy like kind of working with a rebuilding roster. But I, for me, you know, Orlando and Washington, I think, are pretty much near the uh, the two the two bottom teams. Just because I don't know. I mean, Washington's capped out like that. They very much have a ceiling. I'm not really sure how much coaching up you can do with those teams. Um, I think Indiana is really appealing because I think I, they have a lot of talent. Um, I think they really underperformed this year. You know, I, the Sabonis Turner thing, people try to break those guys apart all the time. I don't think it's that bad of a match. Um, it's like less than ideal, but there's no reason they should have been like the ninth seed this year. Um, yeah, I mean, Portland, Portland, you could end up being like a scapegoat again, I suppose, um, or for Lillard. But I think I also think that team underperformed, you know, as long as like, especially if you're a good defensive coach, I think being able to work with Portland would be great. And obviously coaching Zion would be amazing. Same with Tatum. Um, I don't know. Portland might be the most appealing to me, honestly, but you are kind of at risk of, uh, furthering Lillard's unhappiness uh, with the franchise. Right. I think pure, like the current roster in Portland, super appealing job, but the prospect of that roster changing dramatically either before next season or by the end of next season, I, I think is a little bit scary. Like Portland could very well be in the Orlando territory, depending on how everything shakes out. Um, and, you know, I think New Orleans probably by default is is the most appealing because I think most coaches think I could do better than the guy who was there before. And that guy didn't maximize Brandon Ingram or didn't maximize Lonzo or Zion. And there's there's so much like moldable clay, I guess, to work with there. Boston, in some ways, is the same way because Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown are not that much older than those guys that we're talking about. I mean, they're virtually the same age as, as Ingram and Lonzo and you know not that much older than Zion. It's not like you're inheriting a pair of like, 29 year old stars like these guys are still very moldable in their own right so I, I think there's a lot you can do in Boston but the Celtics come with some constraints as far as like the Kemba Walker contract there's not a lot of flexibility outside of those two guys that you have locked in and New Orleans you know not only do you have that that bed of young talent but you also have all those picks coming in from the Lakers and the Bucks trade so I think there's reason for upside when you look at that job what if you throw Milwaukee into this? Like, let's say Milwaukee loses game six. In that scenario, Bud is almost certainly out. I think even if they lose in seven, he's probably out as well. Does the prospect of being the coach that could finally get Milwaukee over the hump on what would be the third try, does that supersede, you know, being the guy in Boston or New Orleans for you? I would, I would, maybe not New Orleans, but I think Milwaukee would definitely rank ahead of the Celtics in terms of appeal. Because uh, I, I, I mean, I think we talked a lot about the Bucks um, in, in this show, and I think we exposed a lot of stuff. But again, like it, it's, it's not as much a moldable kind of job. Um, it's more like you got to go in there and you got to win, um, which is a lot of pressure. So I wonder if that's a job where it really isn't going to be appealing to a lot of these names sort of being thrown around, like. Chauncey Billups is getting thrown around. A lot of assistants are getting thrown around. Um, Sam Cassell uh, is another name. We'll probably see him land somewhere, uh, especially what after the what was it the Wizards the Wizards job and plus the his connection to the Celtics and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, it's the Bucks job is still appealing. Like uh, you have Giannis, you still have you still have the cornerstone there, um, and I really don't think I mean. I feel like Bud's done a pretty terrible job with what he's been given, especially considering how well they've performed in the regular season that you would think they would do a little bit better in the playoffs that it's to the point where 
you know, if you're if you're a veteran coach or an assistant who's been around championship guys for a while, um, you can go in and sort of, you know, go in and win right away. Uh, I think I think that might be the thing that holds up Chauncey Billups accepting some sort of job um, in the in the short term, because I think he's the guy you want. Ultimately, I, like if I if I was building a team and I was hiring anyone, um, you know, in within the pool of, of coaches available, I would go after Billups, I think. Alex, would you put the Bucks job at the top of your list? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little biased, but I, I think I would just because um, <laughs> at least from, you know, a, an outsider, like so many of the adjustments to me feel obvious, especially offensively. Um, and I feel like there's some defensive stuff that they could do as well. You know, more young at center, use him kind of in that Brooke Lopez drop coverage spot. But yeah, this this Bucks roster feels like it's set up like it's it's kind of weird. Like Jason Kidd helped you know turn this team around at first, and then he got stale, and it was very obvious that he was like the worst coach in the NBA. Then Bud took over and helped them get another leap, and now we're kind of at the point of his tenure where it's like this is really stale. He's kind of he's doing a bad job in the playoffs. This is something that was always a concern, but you need to get him because he was the best coach available. And um, now I feel like there there probably needs to be another coach to, you know, kind of put the whole thing together um, and help this team realize what it can become. Like this team still has a really promising top four, I would say. Um, and other than that, you know, there's some room to to shake things up. But um, I, I would say Milwaukee's the most appealing because I think it's your best chance to win a title like the minute that you accept the job. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I, I think Agreed. especially if you're a veteran coach, that's what you're ultimately looking for. Right. Like if you're if you're a young coach and it's your first job, maybe you would prefer a New Orleans or an Indiana or an Orlando where you're given a little more of a runway. Like if you're taking the Orlando Magic job, if you don't make the playoffs the next two years, not a big deal. You know, nobody's really going to hold that against you in that organization. But in Milwaukee, you know, you there, there are expectations right away. So that's where you start to think like the Mike D'Antoni types, you know, guys who've been around. Um, guys who found success somewhere else who don't really have the time to wait out a rebuild and aren't really interested in taking on a rebuild and, and don't need that kind of runway. Like they want to win right away. And, you know, certainly I, I think most coaches out there probably believe that they could do a better job than the incumbent. And it's it's pretty easy to watch the Bucks and say, I could do a better job than than what Bud did in game in game five. I think most people are saying that <laughs> coaches and non-coaches. But yeah. you're right, Alex. I think the Bucks by far are the team that's closest to winning a title. I think, you know, Boston with with a little bit of shuffling around Tatum and Brown could be close. You know, New Orleans, um, if everything starts to click and, and the development of guys like Ingram and Zion really accelerates, you could certainly be there in two to three years. But I, I mean, there's a lot of people, I think, that watched the Bucks last night and said, if they had the right coach, this should be the best team in the league. Yeah, without question. And they and they had the coach that they had and they were considered the best team in the league for, what, like two seasons in a row. So. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not far off. I don't know if D'Antoni's the guy that I think you'd I think you'd have to adjust that roster a lot if you brought in Mike D'Antoni, just because he's always he's always had like that point guard, you know, like he's mm-hmm. always had the Steve Nash. He had James Harden for so long. Um, I feel like Drew Holiday is not really in that mold where, you know, he he's not he, he's a good defender, but overall he's not a guy that can take over a game. He's not an overly good three point shooter. Um, or score or facilitator really like Drew Holiday is like you know he's okay but he's like still like that borderline all-star type um, that I right. think they'd have to bring in someone a little bit different but yeah I mean 
if when that job opens up, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, someone from another a, a coach from another team is like, well, I'm going to try and, you know, go over here and <laughs> and get this done. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's really have we seen an offseason like this where there's so much flux within the coaching ranks? Um, I, it's, I think we actually have. I mean, I don't I don't have the numbers <laughs> in front of me, but I, I, I did see a tweet earlier today that there were only like seven, I think like seven coaches who started their current job before 2018. <laughs> and it, the list might have even been smaller than that. There's just been a ton of turnover. And maybe it's not, you know, at all at one time or all in one offseason. But for the most part, like most teams have been churning over coaches, you know, within every three or four years. Yeah. It is, yeah. It's I mean, it's just a testament to how much power the players have. Right. Like if a player or if a player or a certain amount of players don't like a coach, the coach is just gone because it's always going to be the coach over. The, it's always going to be the players over the coach in most instances. Right. Um, and I mean, that's what we've seen with, with LeBron, right? <laughs> that's why Le, the turnover yeah. with LeBron's coaches has been so high. Um, so yeah, uh, there's, well, there's that. Gonna, and you can also you can also buy out a coach. You know, the coach isn't that's making. That's true. Yeah, it's more like the NFL. Have four years left on his contract at fifty million dollars. You don't have to trade. You don't have to work a sign and trade for the coach. You know, it's, it's just yeah. financially, it's just so much easier to let go of a coach than it is change all the pieces around him. Yeah, NBA coaches are the, the they're the running backs. They're the running backs of the NBA. If it were the NFL, you just mm-hmm. you, you use them for a couple of seasons and then cut them. Do you guys have any thoughts on the Mavericks real quick before we head out uh, just days after uh, I, I wouldn't call it an explosive report, but a uh, an intriguing report on, on what's going on within that organization and the power struggle in the front office. They fire their longtime GM, Donnie Nelson, who I think had been with the Mavs organization for almost 25 years in some capacity. He's out. Uh, a lot of the story that was published in The Athletic earlier this week centered around Bob Volgaris, you know, and, and how much power that he's uh, accrued behind the scenes from Mark Cuban. Um, I, like, as I said, you guys off air, I have no insider information on this. I don't want to speak for you guys. I assume you don't either. Um, so I don't think we have a lot to say on who's actually pulling the strings for the Dallas Mavericks, but I think we can look at this from, you know, what it means for the Mavericks in terms of team building and putting the right guys around Luca, because I, I think it's very clear already that he is on track to possibly be the face of the league, you know, for the next decade in terms of what he's able to do individually and, and I know he's flamed out in round one each of the last two years against the Clippers, but I mean, Kristaps Porzingis has faded dramatically his value over the last couple of years. I mean, there were times when Tim Hardaway was like their bona fide second best player and on a really good team, Tim Hardaway is probably like your fourth or fifth best player. And so there, I think there's still a lot that the Mavericks can do to improve the supporting cast around Doncic. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I don't, I mean, I don't have as much insight into this whole situation. It kind of just came out of nowhere. Um, and it was particularly surprising because there had been a couple weeks ago where Doncic basically hinted to reporters that he's going to sign um, his max extension, which, again, isn't isn't really a precursor to anything. Right. Because it would be insanely dumb for him to not sign that extension, um, even if he wanted to play somewhere else, uh, because he'd be leaving money on the table and the Mavericks probably match. Like, right. Is, is that the, would that be the rules with him if he did did decide not to sign and then he went to restricted free agency, right? Um, he'd, he'd have to sign an offer sheet and then the Mavs could match and it wouldn't be as much money as as the Mavericks would be able to offer him. So uh, I think that's right. So if that's the case, it's really like there's – Doncic probably isn't going anywhere any anyway for at least a season or two, um, you'd, you'd anticipate. Um, and if there is a rift, then it seems like – 
there's plenty of time for Mark Cuban to figure it out, make a move. And, you know, if Doncic is happy on the court and the Mavericks are contending, then there really shouldn't be any issue with anyone within the organization. Uh, even if, even if Bob Volgaris is the shadow GM that's pulling a lot of these strings. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to shed any light on, on, on the situation without knowing or without speculating too, too much, too heavily. Yeah, it's just I, I for me it's mostly interesting because they're changing there's kind of a changing of the guard at one of the most crucial points in the team's history. Um, you know, with, with Doncic uh, about probably about to sign an extension and you have to find a way to put a team around him. And you know, someone who's been there twenty five years, uh having that person leave is that that's huge news. Um so clearly like they maybe they just didn't like what he was planning on. Um, the Przingis thing is obviously really complicated trying to figure out what to do with him, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite the time to make a move. The thing that, the thing that weirded me out about that report from the athletic was that there was so much sense of urgency to turn the Mavericks into this contender. And I'm like, well, Doncic has been in the league for what, this is his fourth season. He's made the playoffs twice. He's put on third season, right? Is it? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. 28, no, 18, 19, 19, 20, 20. Yeah, so third season. So he'd be entering his fourth season. He's going to the playoffs two out of three, two out of his first three years in the league, which, you know, isn't easy. Like, I think I looked it up, and Steph didn't go to the playoffs until his fourth season or fifth season. Um, so I feel like there shouldn't really be much of a rush to, you know, get Doncic that – like, obviously you want to go as deep into the playoffs and build a contender around him, especially – you know why he's a little bit cheaper, but I don't know. What's 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 the rush? He's gonna probably be the best player in the NBA in what like two seasons. Maybe he's, he might be it. He might be the best player in the NBA right now. Um, like I I've, I've had discussions where I'm like, you know, who who do you start a team with if you're taking anyone right now? Um, and I think everyone who knows anything would tell you it's Luka Doncic. Um. So I don't know. That was a little weird to me that they were like, there's this huge sense of urgency to get a team around Luca to contend when really like, you know, you're going to be in the playoffs with him anyway, because he's going to be able to drag teams to the playoffs. So you're going to be competitive. You really just got to get him that second option. And I think that's really it. I think there is some fear with teams now. And especially when you're talking about a player like Dacic, who basically came in as a finished product, like for, for players who take time to develop, I don't think there's quite as much urgency. You know, like you mentioned Steph, like Steph didn't really become the Steph that we know until what, like 2013 at the earliest. You know, like he wasn't, it would have been crazy for Steph to leave the Warriors after his fourth year and be like, Hey, we're not winning enough games. Sorry guys. Everybody would be like, <laughs> you're part of the reason. Like you're not, you're not that good. You're missing a ton of games. And like with Doncic, it's like, look, I'm good already. Like I'm, I may be 22 years old, but I'm playing like I'm 28 years old in the middle of my prime. So I think it's harder for guys like that to to wait around to to put a good team around them and then the other thing is i think there's some fear that and i think in some ways the Mavs are lucky that Doncic has been this good and he already qualifies for this the supermax extension because i think there's some fear that eventually there's going to be a player who just turns down the rookie extension you know and says like look i'll risk it i'll, I'll make less money for one year to hit the actual open market you know mm -hmm. one year later and and then you know i'll, I'll just kind of hit free agency much earlier than, than most people my age and I'll set the market and I'll make up for that with, you know, my Adidas contract and the other money that I'm bringing in off the court. Like the money's getting so big around these guys that it, it wouldn't be crazy to me if like a John Morant type 
you know, just said, you know what, I, I really don't want to be in Memphis. I want to get to a bigger market and I'm willing to sacrifice in the short term in, in order to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, Zion is another guy, right? Exactly. Like he, he could easily do. And I mean, I'd hate to Knicks, Knicks fans, Knicks fans got really annoying when they made the playoffs and just were awful. And they were just like, Oh, Knicks basketball's back. And we, they're going to put up the banner where like, Oh, we won one playoff game for the first time in what a deck, like almost a decade, eight years or whatever. But I, if you're Zion, like, I feel like you want to go to New the marketability in New York is just insane. The money wouldn't even matter at that point. And I like, I think you'd be relatively competitive. I think the only issue is like, like if you're the Knicks, I don't know. Do you just like kick Julius Randle to, to the curb for Zion in a couple of seasons? I think you, I think you definitely do. Um, but yeah, there's got to be that fear where you know Zion's making so much in marketing himself that the contract won't matter, so he's gonna go where he can win or where he can, you know, be in the spotlight or be the biggest player that he can possibly be. Uh, so yeah, that'll that it's it's still crazy to me how much power the players have in the NBA, and it actually like in the end and at the end of the day, it makes it the most exciting league in the world, I think. All right, fellas. Let's end on this. We'll bring it full circle. Alex, what happens the rest of the way in Bucks Nets? You know, I think the Bucks. I, I don't have like a ton of confidence in it. Like I wouldn't bet it, but I think the Bucks will probably win game six. I don't know, man. I the rest of the way, game seven. Eh, screw it. Bucks win the series. And then I guess they probably play Philly. Um it's crazy. just like as a Bucks fan going through this entire like like so far it's crazy to me that there's still two more rounds to go like this round <laughs> against brooklyn feels like it's been two whole rounds it feels yeah. like the east finals it, it yeah exactly okay so officially the prediction is the bucks somehow win in seven uh yeah apparently um okay don't right. have a lot of confidence in it the the confidence <laughs> interval tell. is zero okay you did your voice said it all i love it all right ben what do you got uh Nets in seven. I think the Bucks win game six. I think the Nets go back home. I think if Harden if Harden sucks in game six, that he's got to figure it out by game seven. There's probably an outside shot that Kyrie gets back for game seven. Probably doesn't. Um, but I think at home in game seven, the Nets get it done. And I, it's hard to predict anything past then because who knows what happens with Hawks. Sixers, I thought that would be a quick series, and it's tied heading into tonight. Um, right. So, yeah, I, it's it's nice. Everything's up in the air with the NBA. It's complete chaos. Like, there's no LeBron, and it's complete chaos. So it's nice I'm, I'm it's here up for in the it. Air. The reasons that it's up in the air are not nice. Like, even, yeah, even no, the yes, superstars yes, in the Philly Atlanta series are, are banged up. Like, we have no idea if Joel Embiid is even going to be available for the Eastern Conference Finals well, if they make it that far based on how we looked in the second half of Game 4. That was who I didn't want to mention before in terms of injuries, but right. like God, like you just feel like the way things are going, like that's the next domino that could potentially fall and, and yeah. just be completely catastrophic. And I don't want to see it happen because, you know, like it would be nice to see Embiid and the Sixers get over that hump after all that they've been through. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, in general, like like you said, like it sucks that all these injuries are happening, but at the same time we do kind of actually get parity in the NBA for once. And we're going to get a champion that hasn't won in however so many years, what, like 40 years or so. 
so I, I'm excited for that. And the games have been, you know, a little bit better lately after there were a ton of blowouts, um, it seems, earlier on. So hopefully, you know, everyone stays healthy and we get some good basketball down the stretch. And, you know, something like last night with that Kevin Durant game, something that we can, yeah. you know, talk about for, you know, decades. Yeah, it feels like it's going to be a war of attrition. Um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Everybody say some prayers for Kawhi Leonard. Hopefully this is the the only time in NBA history that it turns out his knee is completely fine and there's no reason to worry about that ACL uh, whatsoever. But we'll keep track of all the news. We'll be back uh, either, well, depending on what happens tonight, we might have to do another pod tomorrow. We might call you up again, Ben. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> hey, we'll be back I'm ready on point. the back-to-back. Yeah, seriously, just just keep Skype open at all times. And if, if you get a call at, at any point throughout the 24-hour day, uh, be ready to jump on because the way things are going, man, um, who knows how this is going to play out. But all right, good talking to you, Ben. Appreciate you jumping on. Alex, good stuff as always. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, guys. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.